Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin most weeks the best way that we know how, and that is by talking Indiana basketball and Big Ten hoops. Mike DeCourcy is here to do that with us this week. A couple of quick housekeeping notes off the top. We will have Assembly Call Radio on Thursday, and then two more of our live synchronized rewatches and post-game shows. So whereas the last couple of weeks it has been on a Friday-Sunday schedule, and now we are switching to the Final Four championship game schedule. So it will be Saturday night and Monday night. We're doing the IU-UNLV game from 1987 on Saturday. And then the first of the three national championship games uh, will be on Monday. We're doing the 76 game. And then the following weeks after that, we will do the 81 and 87 championships as well. Remember to support our friends at Homefield Apparel uh, over at homefieldapparel.com. Use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 and you will get 20% off your entire order. And if you want to support your local food banks, you can go to foodpantries.org and feedingamerica.org. They pick up the slack for so many kids, so many families that are out of work, out of school, you know, can't get uh, good, consistent meals, and the food banks really pick up the slack. So you can go to those sites, foodpantries.org, feedingamerica.org, find a food pantry in your area. Uh, that you will be able to go and support. And now, I am pleased to welcome in, from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and Fox, one of the hardest working men in college hoops, even when there are no college hoops to cover. <laughs> it is the venerable Mike DeCourcy. And Mike, you know, as I just kind of alluded to there here at the Assembly Call, we have been rewatching old games and creating as many different kinds of brackets as we can gin up just to debate and discuss how have you been getting your college basketball fixed during a March without the tournament? Well, one of the things that I decided to do, I, I, I spoke to my editors and I explained in and re- reminded them that when one is covering the tournament and a lot for a lot of people, it doesn't matter. I mean, they cover the tournament, they do their thing, whatever, but I'm rather obsessed with the tournament. And so I want to see every single thing that I can see. So like on the first day of the tournament, um, if I happen to be at a site and last year I was in Charlotte at our studios where we, uh, our, our offices where we had, all the games on different televisions, so I could see them all. Um, in, in years when I've been on site, for instance, in 2015, I was in Louisville for the first round. So my first thing is, okay, where am I going on the off day that has uh, all the games? Where can I go that I can that I can see every single game uh, and and have my choice? And I figure out which sports bar and all that. Is. So. It, it, even at that, there are games going on while there, while like while while IU is playing, for instance, and you're an IU fan, you're going to watch IU, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's at least one game, maybe two, three, they're going on at the same time. So you're going to miss those games. Yeah, I'm at a site, I'm going to miss a game, and so uh, you know I'll, I'll have something up on my laptop, but you can't really see it. You can see what's going on and check in, and maybe if the game on the laptop becomes more interesting than the game on the floor. Yeah. Like I was at a, yeah, I was in Dayton in 2013 and Notre Dame lost by like a thousand to Iowa state. I mean, Iowa state threw in every three pointer that you can imagine. Notre Dame had zero chance. So I watched the, I watched dunk city. That was a FGCU year. I watched yeah. that. Uh, that was the year that the U S was playing Costa Rica in the world cup qualifier in the snow in Denver. I watched that. <laughs> So you, so you can turn your attention to different things at times, but you generally you're going to miss some games. So I told my boss I wanted to go back and rewatch those games that I missed, or some of them, select one for each round, 
So I did that for the first round. I did uh, uh, Georgetown Davidson. And uh, for the second, uh, wait, that, no, the first round was Georgetown Princeton in 1989, which I, I missed because I, w- I, I went to dinner. I was covering the, reg- the sub-regional in Indy that year. And I mm-hmm. went to dinner with some fellow sports writers figuring Princeton, Princeton, what are they going to do, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I, I missed that game pretty much all down. I think I saw the final play live and that was it. So I, so I went and rewatched that game. And what was interesting about it was that even though I knew they were going to lose, I still had that like little thing in your, like, can they do this? Can they do this? <laughs> it's crazy. Right. And then I did Davidson, Georgetown. Then for the sweet 16, I did Kentucky, Ohio state. One more protest against the egregious bracketing, uh, of Ohio state. Carolina and Kentucky in the same top four in the East. It was really ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Cost State maybe a national championship. They were the, they were the best team in the country that year, and, and they just had a too tough a Sweet Sixteen game. Didn't play great, and then up losing. It was a fa- well. I mean, I, when I say they didn't play great, they didn't shoot great, but they played yeah. well. It was a fabulous game. There were fourteen lead changes in that game in the second half. Wow, second half. Uh, and then the last one, the most recent one was uh, Kentucky Duke, nineteen ninety eight. Kentucky comes from seventeen down in the final ten minutes to win. Um, that game, I had been covering Cincinnati away all the time, so I told I told my wife I would take her to dinner and I would tape that game and then I would watch it when I got back. And if I if I don't know the score, it doesn't matter, you know. I don't I don't I can do that. I, I do it all the time now. I I watch a lot of the basketball that I watch on my DVR cause I can go through it faster and that way I can get through more games. Yeah. And, um, so we go out to this restaurant called the Shays in the Cincinnati area. And what I didn't factor into my thinking was that the primary Deshays restaurant is in downtown Lexington. So when they came back from 17 down, the waitress comes up to our table. Oh, Kentucky came back. From 17. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thanks. I told my wife, I said, I can't remember what I tipped, but uh, I'm, I'm not going to say I stiffed her and I maybe didn't even hit her. But, you know, <laughs> but I, you know, all these years later, maybe I should. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was this one. And then um, the next two, uh, I, I still haven't decided on the uh, the the region, the national semifinals. Still haven't decided what I'm going to do on that. And on the final game, I don't think I've really ever missed a final game, but um, I probably will choose the last one I didn't do in person. Yeah. That was 1993 uh, Michigan Carolina, which I believe is a famous game for some reason or other. Yeah. It's a game that Indiana should have been a part of that. (laughs) Yeah, that too. (laughs) Uh, um, Well, on that note, so let's go to it, it. By the way, it's funny. You mentioned how, you know, you're watching these games, you know, the result, but you still kind of get that little nod. I've experienced that going back and rewatching these games. Like you kind of slip into the the emotion that you had in the moment. And even though you know what the result is going to be, it's still satisfying to see the threes go in and see the final seconds tick off the clock and get that win. You know, it's it's fun. It's a you know, obviously it doesn't compare with having some new NCAA tournament games to watch, but it's at least something to kind of get that feeling. Um, yeah. On that note, as we're going back and watching some of our favorite you know, classic Indiana NCAA tournament games, what would be the IU NCAA tournament games for you to watch? Well, the first one that I would like to see again happens to be that 87, uh, 1987 game against UNLV. And the reason for that is that when 
when that game was played, I was there, but I was not on press row sitting, you know, 20 feet from the action or whatever. I was in the upper deck, 20 rows from the top of the Superdome. Oh, wow. And my, one of my buddies had won the ticket lottery. So uh, we got four, he, he got four tickets, which I, as I recall, you won't believe this. They were $10 a game. It, the semifinal ticket was $10 and the final ticket was $10. 10 bucks? 20 bucks. Wow. Total for the two games, three games. <laughs> yes. How about that? Holy moly. And, you know, I always talk, I, like I had a Twitter argument with John Feinstein, who I respect immensely. But John never, I don't think John ever did that. I mean, John went straight, you know, from uh, Duke, uh, his Duke education to the Washington Post and was covering college basketball at a really high level pretty quickly. And I don't think he ever sat at the top of the Superdome for a game. And he believes that the game should always be played in arenas. And I know a lot of sports writers think like that. But my point is always, you didn't do this. I went with my buddies and I had the time of my life. It was fabulous. And this was before you could see the game uh, on the big screens now that they have. Yeah. You, you know, this was like, they, they had like a video screen. It was like, it was like those old Atari games. It was all pixelated. Yeah. Anything. It was, it was hopeless. So you had to watch the game from that perspective or just give up and not go, which I, I didn't want to do. And, and after I went, I actually realized that like you, you, you train yourself to see what is a basket and what's not, you can see the ball go through the net and then you get the full picture. And so I learned so much, you, Jared, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you're old enough to know, to remember when they used to shoot assembly hall from a lower angle. You've probably seen it mm-hmm. on, if you haven't, yeah. And it was a terrible angle. I mean, it was horrid for television. Yeah. Couldn't see anything. You couldn't see what was going on. All, it, was, it was a worse angle than I had up in the 20 rows from the top of the Superdome. Mm-hmm. And so I never understood what was happening with Indiana. You know, just a bunch of guys running around, and you couldn't really see, and then the ball going. And then from up there, I'm like, it was so interesting because you're looking down, and you're seeing everything as it develops. And you'd see Steve Isle go to the left wing, uh, his left, my right. And you're like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Alfred's going to run the baseline and he's going to pick up a screen and then he's going to curl behind aisle and he's going to shoot it. And you like, after a couple days, you started to like see all that happening and you really started to understand the genius of what Knight was doing. It was fascinating in a lot of ways. But at the same time, I mean, you didn't get that close-up feeling of what you would if you, if you're in, if you watched it on television. But I can tell you, I, we were at the opposite end of the Superdome, and not to spoil the ending for you, but <laughs> when, when Smart made his shot, I mean, we knew he had made it. We knew why he had made it because, you know, he, he left Trish behind on that move and Coleman couldn't get out there quick enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it, there was no doubt. I mean, we knew. Uh, so it was, it was a fascinating experience. And I, I always say that Unless you sat up there and had that weekend uh, with your friends or your family or whatever, you shouldn't complain about the game being played in stadiums because that gives twenty, I think it's fifty thousand people a chance to do something they wouldn't get a chance to do otherwise. And the reality is that if you know in today's today's society, let's say they played it at Madison Square Garden because if you're going to do it in an arena again, let's do it there. Let's do it at the best arena. Okay, so you're going to play it at Madison Square Garden. 
the tickets would be so expensive on the secondary market mm-hmm. for a final four that even if you won the lottery, like if there'd probably be only about 3,000, 3,500 lottery spots available. Now there are 25,000 more. If you won that lottery, you would have to sell your tickets. I mean, like all, all, only the wealthiest person could say, okay, no, I won't take $3,000 per ticket. You'd have to, you'd have to. I mean, it'd be crazy. So no one would be in that building except the wealthiest people. I don't want it to be that. And so, I, you know, I just doing a little bit of, you know, campaigning for what they do is the right thing to do. It's not about money grubbing. It's about 50,000 people getting, getting an experience they, they wouldn't otherwise have. And not everyone that goes enjoys it the way I did. Some people say, oh, I did it and I hate it. I never go back. Okay, well, that's fine. But there's another person in line dying to take your spot. There are pe- they still do it by lottery because they get so many applications for people who want to be in that building that you have to win a lottery to get that spot. Do you buy the notion that the game is different and not a, the, the quality of the game isn't as good playing it in a big arena? The shooting is not as good. You know, all those things Can't that we hear. I say that. And I've, I've statistically shown, uh, I've gone back on, on occasion and statistically shown, and others have done it as well, that it do, that isn't true. And, and it's interesting because with no games, one of the things that I've, you know, I, I, I work out now, I've, al- I've always been a workout at home person for the most part, um, belong to a gym, but mostly I have a treadmill in my basement and that's so I, I can work out there and I can watch games and stuff like that where there are no games to watch now. <laughs> so I've been going back and watching uh, old Big Ten elites and yesterday's Big Ten elite was 2013 Michigan. And I watched Spike Albrecht make four threes in the first half of the national title game a guy who averaged maybe four points that year. And, and so you can't tell me that that messes up with messes with the game. I mean, it's an adjustment. Guys have to get used to it. There's no question about that, but they do. And when the, on the, on those occasions, when player t- players or teams don't perform well, Julius Randall, 2014, it's not the stage. It's the stage. Yeah. It's too big for him and wasn't too big for Spike Albrecht that day. 2013, another national championship game that Indiana should have been in. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> um, so the other thing that we've been doing over inside the hall is this greatest IU basketball player of all time bracket. And I'm curious to get your thoughts. I sent you the updated bracket earlier today. Yep. I'm assuming most of our listeners know what's going on, but it's over inside the hall. And we put together you know, 68 teams into a bracket, split it up by era. What was your final four broken down in pre-night, post-night, and then the first half and second half of Bob Knight's tenure? Who'd you have? Right. Pre-night, Walt Bellamy, uh, a player whose career is underappreciated, perhaps, uh, partly because he played in an era when the game had yet to really fully take hold nationally, uh, partly because when he did become an NBA player, he was more a defensive specialist. Uh, but at IU, averaged 20.6 points a game and 15.5 rebounds. I did not get the chance to look this up, but my memory tells me that he was a member of the 1960 Olympic team, which was before the Dream Team considered to be the greatest basketball team ever assembled. Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he was a member of that team. If I remember correctly as well, I believe he was a contributing member of that team as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I... I very gladly put him on there. It was interesting as I was looking at his career, his junior year, and this shows 
how far we've come and how dumb some of the NCAA's practices were. His junior year, they were 20 and four and did not play in the NCAA tournament. And probably were playing as well as anybody at the end of the season. And you talk to Bill Murphy, he will tell you they would have won it because they beat Ohio State, I think, by 25 points on the last day of the season. And they're the team that got in. So what, what a terrible, what a terrible rule that was. Just yeah. made it all. Zero sense. I mean, all the independents could make it, but only one team per concert. So it's just, a, just I can't even, I don't even, I can't even imagine what they were thinking with that. I don't know. The uh, the other um, the post uh, night era was the most difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was for me too. But I I ultimately I sided with with the team that went far with the the pivotal player and and you know Jared Jeffries was absolutely enormous in that NCAA tournament. I mean he had a he had a really good sophomore year. Maybe not great, but a really good sophomore year uh, prior to the tournament. But in the tournament, he was amazing. I mean, he was fantastic. Uh, his the, what they started to they found with him, and I'm not sure, you know, why it clicked at the time that it did. Maybe it clicked for him as much as it did for them when they started to isolate him in the post, in the mid post, and he started to bounce the ball into his shot. I mean, nobody could deal with it. And when they doubled, he was kicking it out, and uh, and and. Dane Fife and company were making shots. Uh, AJ Moye. I mean, I, I, so I, I went with Jared. It was a hard call over Victor and some of the others because Victor was the sporting news player of the year in 2013. Mm-hmm. We went with him over Trey Burke. Trey Burke won most of the trophies, but you know, on the last day of the regular season, Victor beat Trey Burke. And I don't just mean Indiana beat Michigan. Victor beat Trey Burke. And so we went with, with, uh, we went with Victor for that national player of the year, but so it was individual player versus, you know, season versus that tournament performance. And I sided with the performance in the tournament. I could easily be swayed if, you know, someone wanted to sell me on Victor instead, I wouldn't argue with it. Mm -hmm. As for the night era, I don't think that the first part of the night era was difficult at all. Scott May to me is one of the all time greatest college basketball players I don't remember. I think I ranked him in the 30s uh, in in my uh, book, uh, Legends of College Basketball, which was the listing of the top 100 college players of all time. Uh, if he had not gotten hurt, I do believe they would have had a chance at consecutive national championships, consecutive undefeated national championships. Uh, but even with the injury, he still had a phenomenal junior year and came back and, and nearly pushed them past Kentucky. And of course, in '76, just amazing. So I, that he he was the first half, and the, and I didn't have a tough time with the second half either because Steve Alford is another player I considered to be among the greatest college basketball players ever. I actually had Steve in my book ranked higher than Scott. Really, I, I did. Yeah, I I, th- I thought his senior year he completely carried them. Uh, I you know he was he's one of the great shooters ever to play the game. Shot over fifty percent from three his senior year. And now that was on less attempts, fewer attempts than he might have now, but it wasn't on a light load. I mean, he shot a lot of threes and made a ton. Mm -hmm. Just, just an amazing shooter. And think about building a national championship team on the foundation of a guy's jump shot. No, that's been done by anybody on one guy's jump shot. Not, not, oh, we got five shooters like Duke 2001. Okay, they put four shooters around the perimeter. They put Carlos Boozer inside, ideally, when they had him. 
And then it's like, okay, which guy are you going to guard? And this was one guy. And I'm not saying they ha- he was a one-player team. They had very good players around him. But the championship is built on his jump shot. Yeah. If he doesn't make shots, they can't beat Vegas. They can't beat Syracuse. And yet he did. So I, I, I think that he was a phenomenal college player. And, uh, and so for me, again, like I said, an easy choice in the, post, the, the second half of Knight's career. Yeah, listeners of this show know that I will argue for Calvert Cheney, but that was the other one that I had the hardest time with was who to seed first and who to seed second. And I can't completely admit that my the bias of eleven year old Jared who grew up idolizing Calvert <laughs> Cheney didn't come out there. Um, but that I, you know, you just made the argument for Steve Alford. I mean, that is that is the argument for him, and it's a very compelling one. So, by the way, Calvert was in my book as well, and um, both Steve and Calvert will be mentioned in a piece that will appear later in sporting news on sportingnews.com this week about the top 64 players of the expanded bracket era. Oh, Hey, so starting in 1985. So I had a little fun with that. You know, I would not have had time to put that together under ordinary <laughs> circumstances, but these are not ordinary circumstances. This is, you know, this, that is the, the only positive just from like kind of a sports perspective of all this is all these projects that we've had on the back burner like we've been talking about doing this <laughs> yes. rewatch series for half a decade and now it's like well it's now or never you know <laughs> so that's we, we've been able to purge all of us have been able to purge all these wild and crazy ideas that we've had uh for this time so who so how would you power rank those four then if you Good. or, or, or who, who's, who's going to be your winner based on the matchups i guess is probably the better way to ask it yeah you know i can't remember which like was I think it'll be pre-night and then night 85. So it'll be the oldest guys against the newest guys. Okay. So it'd be, okay. So it'd be Walt against Scott and Scott would win there. And then Steve against Jared. And that's a, that's a, you know, that's a a, uh, one verse. No, I don't want to, I don't want to say that's a one verse 16. That's an insult to Jared, but that's about, let's say that's a one versus an eight, nine, let's say. Putting this bracket together, the, the post-night era Love all those players, but it is the weakest uh, of the of the four eras. There's no question about it. And so then it'd be Scott against Steve. And yep. as I said, I, I think I think I would go with Steve. Uh, Scott was a great college player, as I said, an all time great college player. But he was surrounded by better talent, uh, and so maybe didn't have to carry the load as much. Uh, you know, Steve is in. You know, remember Steve is broke a lot of molds here. I mean, not only I talked before about jump shooter being the foundation of a national champion, singular jump shooter, but also, I mean, he was the, he was the last star player of a national champion to not be a first round pick in the NBA. So I think that said something about how great he had to be as a college player to go out and win six games in a row in the NCAA tournament with no other number one pick, uh, on his, on his, on his team. Uh, I, 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 I have tremendous respect for Steve as a player, just a phenomenal, uh, career. And for me, I would definitely say that, uh, that he belongs as the, as the champion of this bracket. We'll see what the, what the, uh, assembly call voters say, but that's my choice. It's a lot of, you know, we're doing a lot of the voting on Twitter. So I think it's going to skew a little bit toward the more recent players than some of the older guys, you know, just the selection bias of who's voting. Uh, but I will say it certainly helped Steve that Keith Smart 
basically played like a first round pick in the final four and championship game. He was, he was, he phenomenal. certainly did. He um, did. He amazing. So let a couple more questions that, that I wanted to get to, you know, some actual like current day basketball questions. Um, just as we look at the, at the current Hoosiers, and this is actually a question that you suggested, and I think it's a really good one. What lessons do you think Indiana needed to learn from last season as we move forward now into the fourth year of Archie's tenure? Well, I think the first thing is I think that they have to do a better job of executing game plan beginning to end, uh, going with what works when it works. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious against Arkansas in the first 20 to 25 minutes, 30 minutes of that game, uh, however long it lasted. It was probably more 20 minutes um, that they understood they had an enormous advantage on the inside, especially with Trace, uh, but really across the board with all their bigs. They had an enormous advantage, and they punished that advantage for 20 minutes and built a lead and then just completely abandoned it. And I don't think there was enough consequence for completely abandoning it. And when I mean consequence, I mean from the staff to the players. I don't mean from winning to losing. There was plenty of consequence in that. <laughs> yeah. but I don't think that there was enough um, – imparted from the coaches to the players. Look, this was working. This has to continue. If it doesn't, we lose. And it never really was revived. The trace, I think for, for the first nine minutes of the second half, I think it was, I I don't remember the exact figure, but I remember talking about it because we had that game on BTN. Didn't get a touch uh, for a period. Certainly didn't get a shot for that period of time. And that's, that, that can't, persist if this team wants to take the next step from a team that was fighting to get into the NCAA tournament and probably was going to get in to a team that's more, you know, more fighting for a conference championship and therefore fighting for a good seat. If you want to take that step, that's the first one that has to happen. I think they need to be better defensively uh, from, you know, again, from beginning to end, not, not in situations, not in, stretches but beginning to end they need to be a better and more consistent defensive team uh, I don't think that that was always there uh, with the, with the with this past group and you know I think some of that I I would say to Justin Smith you know if, if I were to talk to Justin Smith I would say look if you want to be you can be the best defender in this league you can be the Marcus Garrett of Indiana you are that good athletically you are that smart you have that much of, a, of an advantage in terms of your ability to move laterally and move up and down. If you invest in that, look at what it did for Marcus. I mean, Marcus is uh, finalist for National Defensive Player of the Year, uh, according to Naismith. Uh, he was on the number one team in the country. He got lots of attention. You don't have to average 20 points a game to get lots of attention if your team is really good. And so I that, you know, I think that having that kind of stopper on your team would be a, an advantage, but it, it again, it needs to be a, a completely team-oriented uh, deal. Uh, and you know, I, I think inside you want to you want to have Trey stay out of foul trouble, obviously, because he's got a chance to be a star as a, as a sophomore. But, but you need and you need Joey Brunt to be more consistent. There's no reason why he can't be a really solid defender. I think that he gets overeager at times, goes for fakes he doesn't have to. Just be solid. Use your size, use your length, use your strength, be solid. 
though. And, and then on the ball again, you know, I think Robert Finnessy has the ability to be uh, someone on the order of a Xavier Simpson. Now Simpson was very oriented toward it and had a, you know, had a taste for it. And it, so that can't be manufactured, but Robert has a lot of the same qualities in terms of his physicality, his ability to move laterally. I think he can be really good against the basketball and he hasn't been bad, but he has been inconsistent. He needs to be consistently good in the, in those situations. And, and you stitch that all together with, a, you know, a coach who's had really good defensive teams. He had great defensive teams at, in, at, at most of his, you know, his, his four year tournament run at Dayton. A lot of those teams were really good defensively. The 2014 team that made the elite eight was really strong. The 20, 17 team that was his last team before he joined the Hoosiers was outstanding. I sat there at Banker's Life in 2017 and watched them go against Wichita. And I mean, that was a, that was a defensive game to the nth degree. I mean, they just ground each other into the floor and that, you know, you don't necessarily want that to be your identity at Indiana because you can get guys who can play. Um, but you want to be able to retain some of that, 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 uh, uh, that orientation, that, that, that feeling about, you know, we're not easy to play against, so to speak. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about expectations for next season and what they should be, you know, kind of the, the minimum standard. And I think most IU fans agree that, look, we think we all thought Indiana would have made the tournament this year if there had been a tournament, you know, so you look at next year. Okay. Now we need to make the tournament without being on the bubble, you know, get a six seed, a seven seed, a five seed, something like that, where, you know, that you can actually make a run from if you're a good team. But specific to the Big Ten, I think most IU fans agree, at a minimum, you got to finish in the top half this year. And I think, frankly, most Indiana fans will probably be a little bit disappointed if in Archie's fourth year, you know, they're not in the top four or five, you know, having a chance to compete for the Big Ten title. Now, I don't, I'm not saying that's fair for this particular group of players, we can debate that, but just kind of in the fourth year, I think that's kind of what the expectation is going to be. How do you view Indiana standing in the Big Ten as you project forward, you know, with with, with what we project to be on the rosters for next year? Yeah, Jared, I don't think that's unfair. I, I you know, I, I will say, you know, you have to do this with some understanding of what that means. I mean, the Big Ten, like Michigan was playing in the 8-9 game if there had been a big 10 tournament, they were warming up for the eight, nine game. And I think effectively they were like tied for fifth or whatever, something like that. I mean, I, I don't, it's something like, I, I can't yeah. remember exactly, but so that might be where you end up, but that, but you're there, you know, Michigan was probably only about it, you know, because of the injuries, they probably would have been significantly better than that. If livers had played the full big 10 season. Yeah. That, that you know you can be really good and be in that group and end up in the seven slot or whatever and tied for fifth or tied for fourth and then you lose the tiebreaker and you're in the sixth position so yeah. let's say you have to be on you know a double buy situation but i don't see any reason why the progression from this team presuming the roster is as intact as we expect it to be doesn't take you to that level i mean i you're you're looking at Michigan State losing Cassius Winston, uh, losing Xavier Tillman. They're still going to be Michigan State. I get that. But they lose some important players. Michigan, still going to be some very good players there. I don't know what Isaiah Livers will ultimately do. He entered the draft today. I don't know what he will ultimately do. But they do lose 
Xavier Simpson. They do lose John Teske. Uh, Rutgers is going to be really good. I mean, they just added Cliff o- Omaruyi uh, on Sunday. This thing's getting serious in Rutgers. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. This is, this uh, is legit. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He, you know, they still need better shooting. Cliff doesn't really resolve that. Uh, they they recruited uh, some other guys that I talked to Steve Peichel as all this break was starting, and he said he thought that some of those guys they were bringing in can help them with sh- with shooting. Or his guys now can be spending all their free time trying to make shots because they're good players. They're just not great shooters, but they still got dudes, uh, so they're going to be really good. Uh, we don't know what Illinois will be uh, in terms of their backcourt. They're bringing in some very good players. They'll be young at that spot, but they, you know, if uh, Kofi Coburn stays as he should, uh, they'll still be very good. Iowa has a chance to be offensively the best team in the country. If uh, if Luca Garza returns, uh, they they could they can put four forty plus three point shooters around Garza if they want to. I mean, they, they can really be dynamic. They'll obviously have to improve defensively to be extraordinary, but they'll beat a lot of people scoring buckets. Uh, so it's going to be a good league again. I don't know that it'll be what it was this year, uh, but it'll be very good. And so the competition to be in that top four slots, and I left out Wisconsin, as we usually do, and they'll finish fourth no matter what, because that's what happened. <laughs> Um, God, it sure seems. But like no, it. they do have a lot of good players coming back as well. Micah Potter's back. Nate Reavers has another year. Uh, Brad Davison has another year. So they still got very good players there too. So they're going to be very good. But the comp, the, I, I think IU fits in that group if they make some of the improvements that I talked about before. And do you judge that at all based on Christian Lander reclassifying, or are you are you really? kind of putting that into your calculus right now for Indiana for next season? Somewhat. Yeah. I mean, cause that's what I've heard will happen. Yeah. I'm, and when I say that's what I've heard, I mean, I, I'm just reading what I read, you know, the same everybody else. I'm not, I haven't made any phone calls or anything like that. I'm not uh, claiming any inside knowledge, but I, I kind of think that, uh, that that's what will happen unless there's some circumstance that might make it difficult for everybody to enter. And who knows what's going to come down the pike, uh, yeah, a few months. But if if we are back to normal in a reasonable amount of time, I think that's what will happen, and that gives them the opportunity to play two point guards at once, which which is really an advantage. Uh, if if you know if you're if you're able to attack at a high level from two positions at once, uh, and then you've got a, a, a power forward who can bounce it as well, you're really hard to defend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would that would make an enormous difference. Uh, for 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 the Hoosiers and 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 in my mind when I say that they should progress to that level that's that's factoring in Christian Lander as a part of that if he doesn't they still have a chance to be very good but I don't know quite as you know quite the level that I was talking about in that earlier earlier dissertation last question for you Mike obviously we didn't get to enjoy the final four this year but two of the next six are going to be in Indianapolis how excited are you about that you know, I, I especially coming back after a one-year hiatus, uh, the opportunity to have it in the best venue for the Final Four. I, 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 it's interesting because I decided that probably in 92, my first trip over uh, – 91, excuse me, my first trip over to Indy for the Final Four. Uh, I, it, it dawned on me then that it was the best place. And then I came back, I think it was 97, if I remember correctly, for another – 
And I think I wrote it at that point in Sporting News that it should always be uh, in Indianapolis. So just chuck all the rest and, and, and say, sorry, this is the best place. But I don't think they can do that because a lot of people built, built domes thinking they're going to get a shot at it. So uh, even though that would be the best thing to do, they can't. But uh, it, it's, it, this is the best place for the Final Four. It, it always has been. The, the convenience of the restaurants and the bars and the, and the, the ability to park your car and walk around for six days, five days, four days, however long you're on site. Uh, the, and, and as well, the fact that Indianapolis is a basketball city, that, that slogan, we grow basketball here, um, you know, that, that, that absolutely is 100% true. No one feels, you know, I, I'll tell you how I, how this, and this, you'll appreciate this. In 1991, when I came to the Final Four, I would walk, we were staying at the Omni Hotel, and we would walk from there over to the RCA Dome. And there was a building, it was like a sporting, that had a sporting goods store or something in it. And they had TVs, like that you could see in the window. And the entire time, on a loop, they played Damon Bailey State Championship <laughs> game. On a loop. That is awesome. For, for 24 hours a day, for five days or whatever it was that's that you don't find that in san antonio like it's like a big party and no by the way there's hoops that you don't get that in san antonio you get in 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 indy you get that and that's one of the main reasons why uh this is the perfect place to have the final fours rebirth it's too far away it's over 365 days a week away before we have to get there but we'll get there and i can't wait I agree. Mike, thank you. Always appreciate our chats, and we'll keep doing this as we go through the offseason if you're up for it. Absolutely, Jared. I enjoy it. Cool. Thank you, Mike. Be safe, everybody. Thanks. Yep, you too. The great Mike DeCourcy here with us on Mondays for Banner Monday, talking IU basketball, talking Big Ten basketball. Always appreciate him stopping by. Thank you for being here and for watching and listening. We'll talk to you Thursday night for Assembly Call Radio, and then Saturday night, we are going to do the live rewatch of that IU-UNLV game. Uh, you know, if you know about that game, if you've seen that game, obviously you know what is in store and you'll probably be there to watch it again. If you have never seen that game, and certainly if you don't know kind of the story and the backstory behind that game, it's definitely worth reading up on and absolutely worth watching with us on Saturday because that is one of the most fun games uh, in the history of Indiana basketball and obviously one of the most important because it set the stage for uh, the 1987 National Championship game that ended with Keith Smart's shot. So we hope that you will join us for that. And uh, talk to you Thursday, talk to you Saturday, talk to you Monday. A lot of shows coming up. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you then. E-cigs don't burn tobacco leaves, and they come in lots of flavors. That's what tobacco companies tell you. Here are three things tobacco companies don't say. One, many teens don't know their flavored e-cigs have nicotine. Two, nicotine is a poison that can rewire the teen brain. Three, 80% of kids who tried vaping did it because of the flavors. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate. 
Or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.